Need a website for your business, but not looking to break the bank for one? I've got you covered. Hi, it's me, Ashley M. Lyle, founder and CEO of Blacken and host of the Black Queens on Stage podcast. And yes, I also have a website business, Sites by Lyle. I can create a dynamic website for your business that will showcase your work, wow potential clients, and close more sales. So contact me on my Instagram at Sites by Lyle to schedule your free 30-minute evaluation so we can get you started on your new website. Welcome to the Black Queens on Stage podcast, presented by Black Literature and Art Queens Network, where we bring our queens to the stage. Welcome to the podcast where we honor and acknowledge Black women performers and discuss racial issues within Michigan performing venues. I'm Ashley M. Lyle, and today I am joined by the beautifully and immensely talented mezzo-soprano opera singer, Calabria Webb. Hi, Calabria. Hey, hi. I'm doing well. How are you today? I'm great. You know, it only took me three tries just to get your name right. (laughs) You know, and it's okay. And I I tell people all the time, feel comfortable with asking. It's better Mm -hmm. to ask and then receive redirection than Mm -hmm. to just go about looking a fool being wrong the whole time. Right. So it's cool. It's cool. Cool. Okay. I feel, I feel, I feel much better now. Cause now I, I don't feel like a dumbass. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no problem. It's okay. I get that so much that I'm, that I'm incredibly patient with that. And I'm sure my mom had to think about that, you know, as she was naming me. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just kind of comes with the territory. And you know, your, your name, it, it really, to me, it feels like it really fits your artistic profession. It sounds mm. like, is it, it sounds like it's a, it's an Italian name. Am I so right? here's Am the wrong? funny story. You're, you're right. You're right. Okay. So um, my mom thought that I was going to be a boy mm-hmm. and she was going to name me Caleb. Now I'm not sure if the Doppler was wrong or if that was just a hunch um, or if she just, you know, okay, this is what we're going to roll with because this is what I think it is. Um, and so I came out a girl and my grandma is the queen of coming up with names in the family. So they sat there and they figured out, I guess she'll be a Calabria. And so I guess a couple years into my mom's employment at the time, um, she ran into a coworker who said, you know, my family is from the region of Calabria, Italy. And so she was like, oh, wow, that's the thing. I had no clue. And so it's spelled slightly different. Um, the A is in place of the E. But every time I meet Italian people who have like a derivative last name from that region or they are from that region, they always tell me that. And it's always fun like to to be heard on a roster, you know, a, an Italian reading a roster. And then they mm-hmm. get to my name. And they're expecting this Italian princess to show up. And I'm just black. And I'm like, here. <laughs> and then, you know, they kind of look at me kind of funny. And I'm like, I'm Calabria. It's okay. My, my mom didn't know it was a region, but you know, it's interesting. I, I Googled it one day and Calabria actually came up, I think at least what, 10 years ago in middle school, it, it, it came up as a ceiling fan. So I'm mm. like, that's cool. But other than that, you know, you'll, you'll rarely hear it. It's just my name, you know? Right. Right. 
well, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with myself. That was pretty dead on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was good. Perfect. So let's get into this interview. So why don't you describe to me your style of opera? All right. So I'm a mezzo-soprano. Um, I would be considered what we call a light lyric. So in our in our world, we have what's called a Fox system. Um, and a lot of people really, really like it or a lot of people really, really hate it. It's one of those things where it can go either way. I kind of like it, even though I think sometimes it does have its limitations. But the system just really explicitly describes what your voice is and like what you're great at singing at. And so a light lyric style means that I'm pretty solid at um, sustaining some longer notes. I have somewhat of a warm, a warm color to my tone. Um, I can move. I'm a little agile. I can do some of the leaps and the runs and, and things like that. But I kind of just am more at home in that consistent, warm, richer tone. Um, and so a lot of the classical music that I sing floats around that arena. Um, for me, when I was a little younger, my voice was just a little bit, um, a little bit younger because our voice continues to age as we grow older. Um, there were more opportunities for me to play boys, young boys in opera, which was always fun. Putting on makeup and trying to draw a five o'clock shadow. That's a good time. Um, <laughs> or maybe like young, kind of like maidish, um, young damsel-ish type of roles because light lyrics play those roles really well. Their voices are suited for that. As I get older, I'm sort of being pushed more into... Um, which roles, um, eventually one day, maybe when I'm older, older, much older than I am, it may be more of a mother, um, sort of, if you get lucky as a mezzo, as a leading lady, perhaps that as well. So really my style kind of fits into all of those, but then I always have to take it and put like an urban switch on it. So mm. I'm from Detroit. I am born and raised here. I spent some time in North Carolina. I went to undergrad at Winston-Salem State University. And then I lived in Charlotte for three years after that. And then I came back to Detroit. But Detroit roots are so deep within me. And I love urban culture. I love everything about the hair, the nails, the colors, the lingo, you know, the outfits, everything, everything. And so there's always a a six mile in Greenfield attitude when I play a role, right? Because that's where I'm from. There's always a flair. And so it doesn't matter if it's in Italian. <laughs> it doesn't matter if the role is in French. Um, if we're lucky, English, any, any role, German, any language, any role. There is a unique West Side Detroit girl flavor there, which I think is very cool and is very indicative of who I am. So um, I enjoy the classical repertoire so much, but I also am a huge fan of like Beyonce and I'm a huge fan of Cardi B and all of these popular artists. And I look at them and of course, you know, when you're, when you're young, you're a millennial, you see all these elements of pop culture and, you know, some of the things you emulate. And so it comes out on stage, which is the best part. So an urban classical singer, that's like my flair, you know, that that's my touch point, still maintaining beautiful singing, still maintaining you know, quality and technique, but just adding in a little fun because it should be fun. Mm -hmm. I like that answer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so who or what inspired you to pursue a career in opera? Wow. Okay. 
I'm going to condense this answer as much as I can. This is this is kind of a complex answer. So I knew when I was a kid that I wanted to sing. Um, I was in kindergarten and back then we had like show and tell. And some may remember, maybe I'm dating myself here, but we had these little tape recorders. Um, I had a Fisher Price brand when it had a little microphone attached to it. Girl, and I think I wore that thing out. (laughs) The one with the uh, the the little the the red face where the cassette used to go in. Girl, I had one. Yep, I had that for years until a mouse infiltrated our house and ate the cord. I was so heartbroken. No, that's terrible. And R.I.P. to that. (laughs) R.I.P. I mean, it was. When I tell you, I wore that thing out, and and I do remember that sort of being a popular toy. Because mm-hmm. when I would go over to like my cousin's house or something like that, I would see that thing like every so often. But, you know, every show and tell, I brought that thing in like it was new. It didn't matter that we just had show and tell last week because I was going to bring the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so I started singing. And and some of my first songs were uh, Laugh At Me, Anita Baker, Body and Soul. OK. And Whitney Houston, like I have nothing because at that point, the bodyguard was kind of big and mm-hmm. the songs were really popular. And so my kindergarten teacher tells my mom, did you know that she can sing? And my mom was like, you know, I had an idea, but I, I, I really didn't know. And so she started paying a little more attention to me. And I would do a lot of singing in my room by myself. And I kind of was never really a shy kid either. So, you know, people would ask me to sing and I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. <laughs> and so we fast forward and I kept that, you know, I, I kept that. I always liked to sing. We get to high school. Um, I went to Renaissance. And my freshman year, you know, they have you select your electives. And I I didn't know anything about any of that. I came from a very small parochial school before that. So I was like, oh, okay. I knew I was going to be on the pom-pom team. You couldn't tell me that I won't be out here in this little skirt, doing a little one-two step, being cute, little lip gloss on. You couldn't tell me that that wasn't me, right? And so I go to pick these electives and I see that they had like ladies vocal slash beginning choir. And I'm like, Oh, I've always liked to sing. Let me just check that off. I'm sure that'll be cute. And so, you know, I get into class my first year. I don't know how to read any music. I'm just like a raw talent. And, you know, they figure out that I can sing. And I'm like, oh, this is cute. We learn a lot here. I I enjoyed the course, but, you know, it was just a beginning level course. And we did our first concert. Um, That must have been around the winter, almost before the winter break, when they called it like Christmas break back then. Mm -hmm. And, um... I saw the main group, the Renaissance Varsity Chorus and Concert, and I was blown away. And at that point, I said, I got to do that. I, I, I have to be a part of that. And so that was the best decision probably I've made my entire life um, joining that. I have lifelong friends. I have lifelong experiences. And the music was just so rich. We sang from sheet music. I had to learn to read music really fast. We, sh- we sang a lot of the um, standard European rep, but then we did a lot of standard American rep, which included a lot of spirituals, a lot of spirituals. And Mm -hmm. I just really enjoyed the experience overall. And I didn't know at the time that you could go to college and be a music major. You know, I I had no idea people went to school for that. And so when that was introduced to us through college tours, I said, oh, wow. Because at first I was like, I don't want to go to no more school. That doesn't sound fun to me. I could just go to New York and sing and waste some tables and call it a day. You know, and then I stood out wow, people can go to school for this. I can just sing and get grades, you know, because I was so disenfranchised with the math and 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 like the social studies and all the other things like that. I'm like, Ugh, that's boring. So I, I figured that out 
And I said, okay, this is what I want to do. I auditioned my senior year on tour at Winston-Salem State University and other colleges as well. And I got a scholarship for, for singing. And I said, this is great. Not a full ride. It was, it was 50%. It was 50%. Um, And of course it was out of state tuition. So it was a significant, you know, reduction of the bill. And at the time I was like, I got to get out of Michigan. I'm sick of the winter. Give me somewhere with some sun. I'm over it. And I said, let's just have at it. And I get there and I have a weekly voice lesson one-on-one with an instructor most of my classes were music-based classes, whether it was theory or sight singing, which is just basically, you know, learning to read music, just looking at it, eyeballing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just had so many wonderful musical opportunities. And at that point, I'm like, you know, I do like singing and I love Beyonce. I'm just going to be Beyonce when I graduate from here, right? <laughs> so, because I'm obsessed with this woman, this is nothing new. All my high school friends, they'll listen to this and say, mm-hmm, we knew. But- you know, I was like, okay, I'm just going to be Beyonce is fine. I graduate, I'm teaching music um, in, in, a, in a public school. And I'm like, okay, you know, and then eventually I'm like, uh, I miss being a music student. I, I apply to go back to grad school at Wayne State. I get accepted to Wayne State. This time it is a full ride for my master's. Nice. And I get there and my current voice instructor um, who I still study with and and who has been so instrumental to my growth in classical music, turned me on even more to classical music. I knew that I liked it before. I didn't know that I would be so obsessed. Um, she really unlocked what my voice could do. We took a class called Opera Workshop, and that basically is a semester course of preparing an opera. You learn a role, um, and then at the end of the semester, you perform it, and there's an audience, you know, and I ate it up. I ate it up. That, that hands down has been one of my most favorite classes over the course of a lifetime, you know, next to private one-on-one vocal study, um, which is a class as well. You get regular grades for it. And it just, it just really turned me on. And, and I really dug deep into it. It was a way for me to be expressive. It was a way for me to be different because I'm black singing classical music. It was a way for me to find my tribe. There are other people, both, you know, black and non-black who are doing it that, you know, these are relationships that I have and I treasure. Um, It has taken me around the world, literally. And it has just been one of the most, I guess, it's it's such a hard adventure. I'm getting teared up just thinking about it, but um, it's, it's such a hard career. But mm-hmm. there is nothing more rewarding because it literally feeds your spirit. Mm-hmm. It's addictive. You know, it's, it's kind of like you get tired of fighting an uphill battle in society about the arts. And you do get tired of having to work a million jobs, you know, um, just, to, just to make it. And the cost of living are just exorbitant and they continue to rise. Yeah. But it just feels so good being able to talk about the art or to perform the art or to be recognized as a leader in the art, as an expert in the art. It, it is just so fulfilling and it's what keeps me hooked. You know, it, it really keeps me hooked. And I, I've realized like I have to have some music every day. I have to sing something. I, I have to look at a score. I have to translate something. I have to teach a student, you know, what I've learned. It, it doesn't matter. It just, it just hooks you in. And, you know, I'm grateful for that because, it's beyond a career. It, it's a life passion. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people go a long time figuring out a life passion and, 
you know, here I am 15 years old and I'm like, oh, this is it, you know, and, I, and I've been consistent, you know, mm-hmm. so that's my story. It's, it's a little long winded, but, you know, it it's such a funny story sometimes because I really thought I was going to be Beyonce, you know, and, and now I'm like, I love B and, and I love everything that that woman does. She can't do anything wrong, but it's even more incredible for me to be Calabria, right? At this point. Right. Exactly. I was, and I was actually about to interject with that too. When you said, I, I wanted to be Beyonce, but I was going to say, <laughs> well, now you can be a Calabria. Mm-hmm. There you go. So during, during shows that you have like recitals and things like that, what does your audience look like? Do you tend to have more men, more women, black or white? It's such a mix. Um, I would say before Miss Rona came and just stole the show um, and we were still able <laughs> and we were still able to have, you know, regular like performances. Some of my most memorable recent performances uh, would be with Opera Moto, which is a local opera company and they specialize in the eclectic and they do these works and they reimagine them and and they're so awesome and fun um that crowd could look like anything um there were a lot of family and friends that i knew you know um these people could be black they might not be black they could be younger they could be a little older sometimes it was some of my mom's friends she would get on the phone and kind of tell them about what was going on and then i would see them there um and that may have been their first experience with opera, or it may have been their first experience in a while with opera. Mm-hmm. Um, there were people from jobs, you know, that I had my day jobs that were coming to support and, you know, that looks like anything. So it, it really is a mix. If if you have a tribe of people that support your endeavors, um, and for me, that looks like everybody, then your audience is, is whoever, you know, shows up. So it, it is cool. I, I will say being from the hood and telling people, you know, from the hood, what I do, they kind of look at me kind of crazy. And and there's this automatic um, disinterest without trying the art mm. form. And, and that's just because I think for such a long time, it was so exclusive. And especially as people of color, we haven't really been on the inside of that exclusive part, you know, in, in a lot of history, most of history. And so, you know, it becomes something that they do instead of something that we do. And right. we actually do it really well. So, um, you know, sometimes I tell people that I know would never be interested in it and they're supportive. You know what I'm saying? You know, you should really come see this. If, if you didn't think you were interested before, just give this a try. Right. This this may be something that changes your mind. And so every now and then I would see people like that come and, and that was really cool. And they would say, you know, this may not be something that I could keep up, but I did enjoy myself, you know, and, well, and that's that's it. Well, now, speaking on that, when when you were talking about different people not fully engaging in it because it's opera and because they just don't have that connection. When you're performing, how do you keep your audience engaged? Do you ever notice that there's like a, an energy shift between whoever is in your audience? So I have never noticed an energy shift. I think, I think that the common link between performer and audience and even collaborative pianist or instrumentalist, whoever you decide to collaborate with musically, the, the tying link is emotion. Mm. We all have emotion. We know what it's like, most of us, to be heartbroken. We know what it's like to, to have loss grief. We know what joy is. We know what happiness is. We know what, what is an instant gratification is. And so when you really dig deep into what you're singing 
and you really find those undertones. Some of them are very obvious. Some of them are not so obvious. But when you really go and dig deep and you find that relationship for yourself, you can better communicate that relationship and you pull people in with you. And so you may not understand a word I'm singing in French, right? I have probably provided translations for you to kind of understand what you're hearing, but you get the overall nuance of what I'm of what I'm singing about. You understand the emotion because we also are singing actors. Mm-hmm. And so our job is to convey that as clearly, as concise as possible. That's our job. And so I don't think that there's an energy shift when you as an artist have have done the work. Mm-hmm. I like that answer, and you know, I'm, and that that's actually something that we're going that I'm going to ask you about in regards to like you don't know what I'm saying, but you'll get the message, <laughs> right? <laughs> now, what techniques did you learn early in your career to get you where you are today? Ooh, let's see. Well, you have to be good first of all. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's with anything, right? So. We can all have a skill somewhere, but are you good? And then there's the divider. Mm. Are you, are you of excellence? You know what I'm saying? Cause you see a lot of good out here, but what, what separates you from Joe Blow doing whatever, and then going to the next level. So you have to learn to be a student your whole life. Um, That involves research, reading, asking questions, using context. Um, You're never done being a student. That involves continuing some sort of study with another professional who can help you. That could be a coach. That could be an instructor. It usually is a team of people, but you're always a student. You learn that very early. You're never done. Even though you have graduated and you have received your degree, um, you're always a student. You're still a student. Um, And I I think that's relevant in life as well, but it it just doesn't stop. Um, You also have to learn to be personable. So in a lot of settings, you're not working by yourself. There are times that you are working by yourself and I hope you can deal with yourself. But, you know, um, there are times where you're dealing with small group and then there are times where you're dealing with a cast. And so you have to be personable. You don't want to be the guy that comes in late all the time because you're you're throwing a vibe of the whole show off at that point. You know, like the camaraderie struggles. You don't want to be the person that comes in that doesn't know their part because that's a drag. First of all, nobody should be having to plunk your part out. Right. But then it just it slows the energy of the cast down because now I'm nervous if you're going to know your part by opening night, you know, and and that's making me nervous because if you miss an entrance, I'm liable to miss mine, you know, by accident, Mm -hmm. by your accident. So you learn to be personable and you learn to be a good colleague. You, You learn to be very, very humble as well. There will be tons of opportunities that are out there and you may not be selected for maybe but 1% of them, but your peers may be selected for them. And it is just so critical for you to be celebratory of that. We all have to celebrate each other. When one of us comes up, the rest of us come up. And you have to know that and you have to be comfortable and know that your time and your skills and your gifts are yours. Nobody's going to take that away from you. So there's a lot of like life lessons there. And then there's a lot of like vocal lessons like, wow, I know if I hang out at the bar the night before an audition, this audition isn't going to go too well, right? So let me take my butt home and get in the bed. <laughs> let mm-hmm. me make sure that I memorize my music. Let me make sure that I've rehearsed 
what I need to rehearse. I need to make sure that I'm in good health. I can't go out here and fool around. And and especially with this Rona situation, I can't run out here and just do whatever it is that I want to do. Because if I contract this virus, there is a likelihood, whether it's high or low, that this may impact how my lungs work, you know, and impact my skin as a result. So I can't go out here. I can't risk, you know what I'm saying, going to the club with no mask on. I, I, I can't do that because my life and livelihood depends on me being able to phonate. I can't sit around and puff cigarettes because I know that that's tearing my larynx up and, and my risk of, you know, throat cancer or any type of head and neck cancer goes up. So I'm always thinking ahead like, wow, my diet probably needs to look like this to prepare wow, I probably don't need to go out and have that extra margarita this week, do I? Let me see if I can reschedule. Or there's a lot of mindset shifts and behavioral shifts that you have to have in addition to being a student, in addition to being a good colleague, in addition to being personable. So it it takes a lot. It's, it's really a lifestyle, you know? An engineer can wake up and go do a job. And this is no shade to them, but they can wake up and go do a job, do a couple math problems, whatever it is that they do at the desk. And then they go home, kick their feet up. They might go to the gym, have a beer. Uh, What is it? Wash, rinse, and repeat. You know, they do that five days a week or however many days a week. It just doesn't work like that for an artist. You're right. on all the time, mm-hmm. you know, so that, you, you have to carry like that. And that, that kind of goes back to what you and I were talking about before we started recording, you know, when you were asking me if I was going to ask you to sing, no, I'm not going to ask you to sing, you know, that's <laughs> <laughs> I, God. Right. I, I, for, for me as, as, as this podcast host, who is asking you to commit your whatever time that you have to me to talk to me for an hour for me to ask you to sing I feel that's that's a, a level of disrespect that I don't want to do to somebody especially to do that to them mm-hmm. on the spot without any preparation because mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. yeah I don't want to do that I'm I'm an artist myself I, I sing as well so I fully understand it you know I'm not I would never do artists that. artists get artists you know mm-hmm. artists understand artists we we understand that that high that I spoke of and we understand the low and we understand the day-to-day requirements um artists just get artists mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's 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 a beautiful thing and we don't have to say words to understand each other we you know a lot of times it's just a look <laughs> and it's like all right we got it you know um of course, sometimes we ask things for clarity, mm-hmm. but most of the time, you know, artists just get artists, which is why I love hanging out with artists of all, you know, disciplines. Mm-hmm. I'm going to switch gears a little bit to a question cool. that I always ask my guests mm-hmm. because it's relevant and it needs to be discussed. And um, as a Black woman in a white male and female dominated industry, mm-hmm. what kind of obstacles and challenges have you faced because you're black and a woman and how did mm. you overcome them? Ooh, now this, <laughs> this is a deep one. Okay. Um, I'm gonna try not to get on my pedestal for too long. All right. I think about this so much. I would say that people may think that this is more of an indirect, but to me, this is totally direct. The financial aspect is such a challenge. This career takes so much money to stay afloat. It is obviously money for the education. And as I say, you're always a student. There is a cost associated with having a voice instructor to refine and improve your technique. 
there is a cost associated to have a coach who specializes in, you know, certain styles or certain languages. At the bridge level, I would say, of career, we have, you know, summer programs or other programs, young artist programs that sometimes require tuition. And the tuition can really range, but some of these programs are several thousand dollars. It takes a lot of money to maintain this career. And a lot of times as a Black person, being someone who was not born into wealth whatsoever, I come from you know, a, a working middle-class family, I would say. I'm the product of a single mother who had to do it herself all the time. And, you know, I didn't, I don't have, you know, the stories of not having food or not having clothes, you know, thank God. But there were a lot of things that I just couldn't do because I just did not have the money. There are a lot of our non-Black counterparts whose families are wealthier. There are so many people that graduate from a program and they are, they don't have to work a job because family says, you just focus on being a singer. We'll pay for your lessons. We'll pay for your audition fees. We'll pay for your travel. You just be a singer all day. And so this person is dedicating literally sun up to sundown on the craft, sun up to sundown on their voice, sun up to sundown on research of, of what to audition for next. While little old me and everybody else that looks like me, we got to go get a job because we need health insurance or we have a bill that we have to pay. We're not trust fund babies. Mm-hmm. And that is very common. And that is why I think around my age level and up, you start to see a lot of black men and women quit because you are so exhausted at that point. You're tired of having to work multiple jobs just to have food. You know, the cost of living, as I've said before, is just continuing to uh, to rise. Perhaps you have some sort of pre-existing medical condition where you need some different health insurance. And the only way you're going to get that at a reasonable rate is if you have a job that provides benefits. So your values start to shift. Perhaps you want to start a family or get married, but you know you can't always have that nomad lifestyle if you have other people to support besides yourself. And so our pool of people, Black people in this career, it already starts small, okay? But then it gets smaller as you get up there. And it is totally because of, of the lack of generational wealth. And that's not our fault. You know, it, the system was set up for us to just now basically start our journeys. Like Mm -hmm. I'm doing things now so that if in the future I do decide to have a family, if my kids decide to become whatever it is that they decide to become, I can throw the money at them, make it rain and support them and say, you focus on this. Everything else is just background noise. We got you here because that happens, you know, and I don't want my kids to be chained up by student loan debt or credit card debt or any of these, you know, crazy systems that we have. And a lot of times we are left to fend for ourselves with, you know, we have a lot of emotional support probably at home, but we don't have financial support at all. So to me, that is like the biggest one. Another thing that I've noticed, and it starts from childhood, they seem to be trying to shift this model now, which I'm grateful for, but we're still light years behind. I was not exposed to classical music until high school. Mm -hmm. And again, I come from, my mother has a master's degree, you know? Um, my, she's a first generation college student. My grandparents, you know, they're, they're a bit older, but my grandmother was a homemaker. She was forced to be a homemaker to take care of the family. And my, my grandfather is retired from Chrysler and, you know, they, they were working people, but they weren't wealthy people, but they knew how to make their dollars stretch. And so, you know, my mom, therefore 
is what their dreams are, you know? And then I go a little further than them, but I wasn't exposed to classical music until high school. Mm-hmm. And it's because my mother probably wasn't exposed until I got exposed. And my grandparents, you know, they only have a high school diploma. So they probably weren't exposed, especially my grandmother, who's from the Jim Crow South, who had to flee the South because of Jim Crow, you know? So those opportunities were not afforded to people of color for such a long time that, again, it it turned into this exclusive community that a lot of us weren't a part of. There were some of us for sure, you know, we existed through history, but, you know, in comparison, there's so few of us than there are white people. And because of our late exposure and lack of exposure, we start so late. Our first voice lessons are in undergrad. There there are so many kids out here who start taking voice lessons with professionals, you know, when they're in high school, 15, 16 years old, and, and they're studying with somebody at the university. They're 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 getting their audition materials for college ready. You know, I I didn't have any of that. So I was playing catch up for such a long time and it it makes you have to work twice as hard. And that is just a system. We don't have, those opportunities exist, but if they're never in our neighborhoods and they're never accessible um, or they're so far out of reach or just so far out of sight, you know, how do we know what we want to do? Because we've never seen it. Right. How are we supposed to know? So that's part of the system. You know, and and somebody told me recently, and and I don't agree at all. Obviously, this is why I'm talking about it. Told me that I need to let the system off the hook. <laughs> and I looked, okay, period. I looked at the message, and I, you know, I put the phone down. I, I couldn't even reply. I, I couldn't even reply. I, I'm not going to let the system off the hook. I think it's more productive to become the system so that there are are generations after us who have this accessibility and they make well-informed choices and they are able to fly further than we ever have because of the opportunities, because of of the financial leveling, you know, it's it's wild. So I think if I could just talk about those two things, you know, that, that could be another hour, but those structures are really old school structures that, don't include us, in my opinion. They, they just don't include us. I, I cannot, in good faith, ask my mother to do another thing for me. She has already done more than enough for me. Mm-hmm. Sending me to school, paying for school my whole life, you know, allowing me to stay at home, you know, rent free because I didn't have it. You know, giving me, you know, uh, uh, paying for some of my music lessons post undergrad giving me money to, you know, do some traveling for auditions and things of that nature. I, I I don't feel good about asking my mother for another dime. She's already gone above and beyond. You know, I and of course I do what I can for myself, but it's really expensive to maintain and you have to get creative about how you do so. And I I just see why a lot of people quit. And I and I see why a lot of people, I don't even want to say quit. A lot of people don't quit but they change course. You know, you see a lot of uh, classical singers who turn to coaches or they turn to professors. They go get a, a doctorate and become a professor. Um, or, you know, they they may pick up, you know, an entrepreneurial thing. You know, they might be a real estate agent or, you know, they may switch gears and become some sort of healthcare professional. I see why people change course because you get tired of climbing up uphill all the time against, against the, what is it? Against the tide. You get sick of that, you know, and eventually you feel like you're going to drown and it's just worse for us. You touched on everything that honestly what what I'm going through because I, I feel like you and mm-hmm. I our our lives are almost direct reflections honestly mm-hmm. because I I'm still with my mother 
because uh, of course, be- before co- the coronavirus hit, I was working two part-time jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm in two small businesses, this business, and then a web designing business that I'm trying to mm-hmm. push up off the ground. And on top, just all of that, just trying to put together so that way I can not only have the availability for my art, right, but also have something that I can claim for myself instead of constantly going to a nine to five job that is trying to make me work 40 plus hours and not yep. trying to acknowledge the fact that, you know, aside from this job, I have my other job, which is acting. And that is my life career. Hello. You know, mm-hmm. So, and my mother is, is, she has, she has been so incredibly supportive for me. She told me from, from, from the moment that I graduated high school, because she knew that I was going to get into something artistic. She did, she, she knew she had an idea, but not fully understand what it was. But she said, always told me, you always have your plan B. Mm -hmm. And I was going to school for engineering, but then- Yeah, I was going to school for engineering until I hit calculus and I was like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay. Same leg. So then I became a pharmacy technician and I did that for several years until I realized, you know, it's just, it's just not, it's not making any room for me to do my artistic career the way that I want to. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. my mother and I spoke about it and- you know, my mother still helped. My mother still supports me financially a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. But even during this this virus, I, I still have a one of my part time jobs. My other one got completely closed out because of the virus. Wow. Mm-hmm. But my other part time job, I'm able to do that from home. You know, which which is a, honestly a godsend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a little bit of money that I can actually you know put into like my artistic career and things like that. Mm-hmm. But it's it's such it's such little money that I can't really do what I want to do with it. So mm-hmm. I get in touch with my other fellow actors, like one uh one of my fellow act- actor friends, uh Liz Gray. She um she's a vocal coach coach herself and she and I made this trade where I will make her a a website for her if mm-hmm. she'll teach me to sing. And I can yeah, sing, but, you know, I can sing, but I have my pitchy, pitchy moments. And she's also going to teach me how to read music because I, I don't know how to read music. Okay. So, and that's where you have, like what you were saying, you got to be creative so you can get mm-hmm. those opportunities, so you can get those moments to constantly perfect your craft. Yeah. and It's crazy, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It really, like, it's wild. It really is. And, and, you know, it's, I don't regret it at all. Yep. That's the thing. Yep. I don't yep. regret it at all. I think that this was the best decision that I honestly could have made for myself. And while I, and like you were talking about math and science, I love math and science. I, I am a huge science nerd. I love chemistry. That was part of the reason Ooh. why I got into being a pharmacy technician because I loved learning about medicine and what it does for the body. Um, when mm. I was a child, I said from the beginning that I wanted to be a doctor, but then once the sight of blood came into my view, I was like, nope. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I had to make a decision for myself. Do I love medicine more or do I love my art more? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the resounding answer was art. Mm-hmm. It was art. And, and it's, 
that's that way for a lot of us. So I am the furthest math and science person I could ever be. Like when I tell you, I am so arts and humanities. Now I love like reading. I don't read as much with, you know, the amount of time that I have, but I do love to read anything like geography or social studies or sociology. Boy, I can, I can talk in circles around that stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. but it was always like, what am I supposed to do with life? Like if I'm not like doing music, the rest of this stuff, this is cute. But I could see me getting super exhausted from that in such a short amount of time. Like, like, and not a physical exhaustion. It's an emotional and spiritual exhaustion. We, when you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing from a divine standpoint, I don't care what you believe in, if you believe in anything, everybody has a purpose. When you are not in your purpose, regardless of, of the degree of which you're in your purpose, when you're not there, you, you're tired, mm-hmm. you're, you're cranky, you're crabby, you, you know, you may even be ill. You, you just got issues. You're no fun to be around. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like you're just a sore, you know, an eyesore. You are a literal eyesore. And when you begin to walk in your purpose and live in that and find your passion, you know, there's just a glow about, about people who are there. Yeah. There's just a peace about people who are there. And so I, I completely 5,000% understand what you're saying. Um, for me, it was it was more so, you know, people say focus, you know, or have a plan B. But to me, if you have a plan B, you always gonna focus on plan B. Then what happened to plan A? Let right. me just put my efforts on plan A. You know what I mean? Like, and I, and there are, there can be multiple plan A's. You know what I'm saying? There are plan A's that can coexist. So right. for me, um, performance world has changed to, you know, Corona tide. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of virtual things, but then there are a lot of like, not things happening, you know, like it's just quiet in some places. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was okay, because this is the best opportunity. I, I was complaining about never having time. This was the best opportunity for me to get myself together. I have, you know, taken better control over my health. I am taking more control over my health in in relation to my voice. I am taking more control over my business. So, you know, I'm overhauling everything that I've ever had and I'm, I'm trading it in for something new. I have more money to do that because I'm not constantly in the streets and then going to order tacos every time it's lunchtime because that literally is what I was doing. You know, like I'm, I'm just in a better place and because I am where I'm supposed to be, I can also focus on other ventures. Performances have slowed down slash, you know, for me, I'm, I'm comfortable taking a, a bit of a break. As long as I'm working on my own and with, you know, learning on my own and studying on my own, which I am, you know, on a regular basis. Um, I could be doing more, but, you know, her, her, we're not going to guilt myself there. But it's also giving me an opportunity to focus on Calabria, the vocal instructor. And I realized that I love her too. She's fun. She's funny. She's motivating, you know, and, and people happen to really think that she's meaningful with what she does. I'm intentional with what I do. Mm-hmm. And so I have, you know, turned my focus to building my current students up and my, and my studio. It's not about numbers. It's about quality for me, building them up and then taking on more people that I can, you know, fit and building them up and, and, and revamping that brand as well. This has been the perfect time for that. And so Calabria the teacher coexists with Calabria the artist who coexists with Calabria the wine taster who coexists with Calabria the the 
the, what is it? What do I call myself? I am the classical version of Cardi B. Okay. The Cardi B of classical music. They all live together and that's cool. You know, <laughs> I say that and people like fall out. Like they look at me and I'm like, uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm really outspoken. You know, I say what I got to say. All my clothes are loud. I'm loud. I don't care. It is what it is. You're going to get this personality period. Like it, it, it just is what it is. And you know, all of those brands and features and facets of me, they coexist. Why do I have to trade in one for the other? Why do I have to have a plan B when all of this is plan A? All of this is plan A. This is this is unapologetically who I am and what I have to offer. And I am committed to being the best at what I have to offer and to provide the best of what I have to offer. You know, that's that's I'm glad you touched on, you know, your work. There is a conversation that is ongoing in, in the classical singer community, and it may be going other places, but for sure in this community, about correlating careers mm-hmm. and how if you have a day job, that doesn't make you any less of an artist. Right. Okay. I think that I, I, I might have hit a button. For those oh, yeah. people who are listening... It doesn't make you any less of an artist. Just because you have to provide, listen, shout out to you. Just because some days you're you're tired when you get home from work and, and you you choose to take that nap instead of go hit in the practice room or wherever for an hour, it doesn't make you any less of an artist. Mm-hmm. How many no's you receive in an email from rejection letters, it doesn't make you any less of an artist. We are all doing what we have to do. And, and many of us are just doing the best that we can. And your best is good enough. It's good enough. And those correlating careers bring the best artistry out of you. My day job, I work in sort of like parish administration. Okay. And I work, my official title is I'm the Associate for Education and Community Engagement. And so um, it's a busy time, especially we're, we're completely online, but I work with what it says I work with, education and community engagement. And there are so many skills that I have garnered from that position and other positions similar to that, that feed me as an artist and as an educator. They run alongside each other. This position, you know, they value the arts. My my supervisor, our lead rector, is a degree musician. You know, our music director, I started that job because five years ago, almost, I started as a staff singer there, you know, and you know, I just have gotten completely interwoven into, you know, the church culture and they get it because they are artists as well. They get it. They just get it. I don't have to do a lot of explaining, you know, there's accountability, but they get it. And there are so many skills that feed me there that transfer to my artistry and my artistry has transferred over. I would consider that a correlating career because There are other passions and interests that people have. It's okay to be multi-passionate. And the world wants to tell you, you got to be good at one thing. You do need to be good at one thing, but you don't have to be tunnel vision into one thing either. Right. And it's inhumane to expect that you're only going to put all your eggs in this one basket and be satisfied with that one basket. That basket could bust open you know what I'm saying? You could lose the basket, it could get graffitied on, I mean, trampled, you name it. A kid could rip it up, you name it. You, It's okay to have multiple baskets, but they got to feed each other. Mm-hmm. They got to feed each other. And so if you are an artist and you're working a day job and that day job isn't feeding you, leave that one and go find one that is. Right. Go figure it out yep. until your artistry, you know, if you so choose, because it is a choice. If you choose for your artistry to be the day job plus... You know what I'm saying? Like your artistry. 
But for a lot of us, we have to provide. And it is okay and it's normal to have a correlating career. This economy has once again changed so big. It's, 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 it's so drastic. Mm-hmm. It changed with the last Great Recession, um, especially here in Detroit. And back then, when that happened, it became more of a norm and a necessity, even though that's sad in another way. It became a norm for people to work multiple jobs or have a side hustle, whatever you want to call it. Now, it is like almost a standard for you to do something and something else. And even though, you know, that can contribute to burnout and you want to be mindful of that and be careful of that because you you want to save your all for what you want to do, you know, but it's normal and it's okay to do other things and to like other things and to invest in other things. Like you're no less of an artist. You're still an artist. You're still probably damn good at it, you know, but it's okay. You know, we're, we're all doing what we have to do. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I was at the beginning of this, I, I was thinking about how you were talking about when you were a kid and, you know, you, you'd take your Fisher Price little recorder and stuff like that. I was thinking about how and, and how I said our lives seem to mirror a lot with each mm-hmm. other. Um, when I was when I was in elementary school, I went to an all white private Catholic school. Oh, girl, I went to Catholic school. I went to urban Catholic school. We are living the same life. Yep. And um, wow. I, my, my single mother paid for the school herself. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I, was, when I was in school, I remember distinctively in the first and second grade, the main teacher aide, she was Scottish. So she had that really deep Scottish accent. And, <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was one day where I was just singing and I can't remember where she heard me singing, but she, she created her own little tour of me taking me to all the different classes in the Mm. school. And I was singing opera. What I thought was opera. (laughs) Uh 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 At that age, because our first experience is always imitation. Mm -hmm. Wow. I'm telling you, I think, I think we actually might be like, soul partners. I think we, mm-hmm. I think we have similar journeys, you know, that, yeah. that of course have different branches, but they're of the same tree, mm-hmm. you know, you which is, which is so cool. You know what? No, I am not. Okay. But this is what's so crazy. I am a Scorpio, everybody. And I'm so into Zodiac and Taurus is the exact opposite. That is the uh-huh. counter on okay. the wheel, on the Zodiac wheel. And so either we get along very well or we're like killing each other. Right. <laughs> But most Taurus people are 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 wonderful friends. One, I don't know if I would date one again. Help me, Lord. But <laughs> you know, they are wonderful friends. They're they're loyal. They're consistent. What you see is what you get. I'm not always consistent. I can be so emotionally erratic. It's not even funny. Like I'm doing better now that I'm in therapy. Praise the Lord. But you know, Scorpios, we're emotional people, and Tauruses are you know just what you see is what you get. They're hard workers when they commit. They are in it for the long haul. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's a beautiful skill, you know? So mm-hmm. that is so funky that you say that. I, I'm so in the Zodiac, y'all. Like when I tell y'all, <clears throat> my mom, like she rolls her eyes at me and I'm like, girl, this stuff is real, you know? So I want to I wanna talk to you about some of the shows that you have done. Okay. Particularly, and I know I'm going to butcher the mess out of this title. It's okay. Um, Pome di api? Pome d'api. That, that just means little apple. Okay. Okay. It's French. 
So uh, that was fun. Yeah, it looked like it was really fun. I was looking at the video on your website and and just in this goes back to what you were saying before where you may not know what you're saying but you can see it through your work phys- the physicality of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. From what I gathered and definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but it looked like you were uh playing the mistress maid or or the uh the the girlfriend to the man of the house and, very close <laughs> but then you started having some kind of romantic relationship with the butler who was the, the other woman that was in the show <laughs> that's what it looked like so here we go I'll, I'll break that down to you in the quickest way i can so um the the main character Catherine, is a maid she comes from a lower class setting and so she was dating the nephew who is the young lady. Her name is Isabel Springer. She she plays a man that was a pants bra. It's my boo. I love her. And um, the nephew who is played by Isabel lives with a wealthy uncle who is my other friend, Tyler. I love him as well. And the uncle tells the nephew, you can't date her no more. She ain't it. And so the nephew doesn't have a spine and so breaks up with Catherine and she is pissed about it, honey. So she cooks up this plan to come back in disguise to be a maid to that house disguise so that the uncle doesn't know who she is. And she goes to try to make her former lover, the nephew Gustav jealous by constantly flirting with the uncle. And the whole time, like, this is just like Gustav's heart ripping out like, Oh my God, you know? And at the end it is revealed who she is. And the uncle just gives them his blessing. So it's, it's a comedy. Mm-hmm. And clearly that was when I was in France. It was a good time. Uh-huh. It was a good time. Y'all playing a hot maid. That's me all day. Right. It was a hot girl summer that summer for real. <laughs> it was, it was just the French was fun. French, French is probably my favorite language to sing in. That was my first foreign language in life as well too. And um, just hearing people speak it like on the street is so beautiful. And the music is really comical. In addition to, for once, I play a a woman and a soprano plays a man. You know, usually it's the other way around where I would play, you know, the male character and then Mm -hmm. the soprano would be like the leading lady. And I'm like, oh, they done flipped the script. You know, it, Mm -hmm. it it was just such a good time. And so there was a scene that I sent you and she was drunk. Catherine was drunk, 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 drunk. Mm-hmm. And she goes on talking and, you know, they gave us this little dance bit. I can't tell you how out of breath I was after that because she ain't no yeah, dancer. I, saw that. I was like, this is oh. hilarious. <laughs> I mean, I was like, what? And, you know, the whole time she's talking about she's drunk and she's like, listen, I could have this kind of man. I could have that kind of man. I could, like I could have a farmer. I could have a businessman. I could have, you know, like a um. Uh, what are, like a government official. I could, I can do whatever I want to do. I'm that girl, like period. I do what I want to do because I want to do. And, and those men are kind of sick about it. You know, it's like, oh my God, why is she so brazen? But her character is so fun and it's in your face and it's, and it's all driven actually, you know, even though it's a comedy, it's driven by pain. Mm-hmm. Rejection is pain. Nobody likes to be rejected, right. but you know, pain can manifest into, some people laugh pain off and they still hurt. And some people are pissed and they manipulate, which is her character. Some people are sad and cry. She wasn't no crier, you know, but that was just, that was just a good time. That was a good time. And a couple of times in those scenes, you know, I got to drop it low on stage. So I was like, this is me, period, <laughs> period. 
And I was watching it too. And I was just like, oh, this looks like this was really fun. I would actually <laughs> like to see if uh, Opera Moto does that. Because I've seen a couple oh. of productions of Opera Moto. Um, oh, perfect. So you're familiar. Oh, yeah, yeah. I actually got in touch with Danielle because Danielle was, um, she put the word out about looking for uh, Black women to- Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stage manager and directors. Yeah. yeah. So- just waiting to hear about that to see what's going on with that. But yeah, I I've spoken to Danielle briefly a couple times regarding, regarding the show. Cause I actually inquired to her about like, do you have to be like in a professional opera singer? Today? <laughs> no, I mean, I can make you all have those, to have a vision. Those, right. I can make all those hooting noises as much as anybody else on stage. <laughs> she said hooting noises. Okay. Hooting noises. <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah I, I i when i first found out about opera moto i thought that w- that it was really cool to have something that was outside of the detroit opera house or the grand river mm-hmm. or, or grand rapids opera house mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. that is like detroit repertory theater or that's something like um yeah. De- uh, detroit public theater or or right Point, something like that, you know, something that's an actual theater company outside of the major theater opera houses. So I thought that was really cool that that they created something like that. And they're a good time. Working mm-hmm. with them is a good time. Um, they reimagine a lot of these roles and a lot of these um, sets and, you know, they make them relevant and fun. Mm-hmm. This this whole thing is about fun. You know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, this this is fun. It's somebody's job, but why can't work be fun, right? right? And so when we have fun, the audience has fun as well. And so they they do such an excellent job of of reimagining those things and and they see, you know, the people in those roles and and the music is still wonderful and the singing is still great too. So none mm-hmm. of that is compromised. And of course, it's a big bonus that they are investing in the local Detroit talent. There's so many classical singers in this in this uh, Tri-County area. So many. And and mm-hmm. I haven't even met all of them. And there are so many. Like, you, you kind of would be shocked to know. And there are so many of color as well. You mm-hmm. know, and, and, and probably wouldn't think about that. But it's I, I just appreciate that they invest and nurture the talent here, you know, and mm-hmm. young talent. Because it's necessary. Yeah, it really is. So how do you keep your mental health in check and keep yourself performance ready? Uh, I see a counselor. I um, have been seeing my therapist and I see the lead therapist and I was seeing her at least now, this may be about a year and a half that I've been seeing her consistently. And I would say I go twice a month, but during the Rona time, because it was just so much change, I started going weekly. And now I feel mm-hmm. like I can go back to going, you know, every other week and be okay. Um, but that is, to me, the pinnacle way that I keep it in check. I need a professional. I'm super sensitive about everything. Um, I can catastrophically project like nobody's business. Sometimes I get offended over things that I shouldn't even be offended about, right? And then I take it personal. That's the Scorpio and Virgo in me, right? And I need a sounding board to affirm how I feel and let me know that it is valid and valuable, but also to restructure my sight on how I interpret things because mm-hmm. a lot of things are not personal. And so to me, going to therapy has really helped with that. Um, and then 
it has trickled down into other parts of my life. Um, most of my closest friends that I talk to on a regular basis, we all in therapy. Mm-hmm. We are not at the same place, but we're all in therapy. When I know I'm having issues and I, you know, I just need somebody to listen to me or, you know, have input, I can call them and they're great. They're dependable. They're fun. You know, they also affirm who I am, you know, and, and what I'm thinking or feeling. And so I have a really supportive social circle. Um, and I also, I'm the queen of taking time for myself. I, I don't believe in working so hard that I can't enjoy anything. So, you know, I, I love to have wine. I will Netflix and chill all day by myself, not answer the phone. Um, I do love to go out. I'm an extrovert, as you probably can tell, but I love to go out and have like brunch with people. But, you know, I'm right now I'm not doing indoor restaurants. So, you know, I may go get takeout and sit at a park and eat or with somebody or by myself. You know, I'll go get a pedicure, something like that, something that I enjoy. Uh, fitness is like a newer portion of my life now. So I feel better when I'm in better shape. And when I feel like I have control over what I'm putting in my body. Um, so those are those are things that help me feel good about me. And when I feel good about me, everything I do is successful. Mm-hmm. I need to follow your lead. <laughs> Come on. This is, this is a path for everyone. You yeah. know, this, this is for everyone. Wellness is for everyone. It's not exclusive. Right. Wellness is for everyone. Mm-hmm. Peace of mind is for everyone. You know, and and I'm always happy to talk to people, you know, if they reach out and kind of ask me for referrals of of where they can go for certain services or places. You know, I'm not stingy. This is not just for me. Feel free. I'll I'll tell you what worked for me. You know, I could tell you some of my pitfalls. I'm I'm mostly an open book. You know, this is for everyone. We're we're all again. We're all just trying to do the best that we can do. and, And we have to support each other in that. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. So what would you say is your greatest accomplishment in your career so far? Whoa. That is a question. Wow. Um, so I don't know if I would say a greatest accomplishment for myself as far as like a career track, because I don't know. I, I think I'm still looking to ascend, but I am proud of where I am right now. And, and this may sound a little like deep and it's not really based on like metrics or anything. I am really, really proud of myself for sticking the course, especially this past year. Mm-hmm. I'm really happy that I found the motivation to get up and audition a few times. I'm really happy that I'm sticking to education and and being that student, that lifelong student and that lifelong learner that I talked about. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm consistent with that even during this, you know, COVID time because this, you know, this gave me such anxiety, like I in depression, not being able to see anybody off top that I was just kind of just eating everything in front of the TV for like six weeks. And then I said, OK, I, I, I got to stop. You know, I, I got to try to put it put a can on this while I can. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it forced me to look at new music. It forced me to continue taking lessons online. It forced me to, you know, again, re reimagine my brand and, and do things like that. I'm really proud of that. And so whereas that may not be a metric and it may not be oh, the best role of my career that I've ever sung. But to me, that has so much weight and so much depth that to me, if if I never sing another role and I never do another recital, I know what I've accomplished because of, of where I am in the space that I'm in. Mm-hmm. So to me, that that has to be the biggest accomplishment for me because a lot of people have roles galore on their resume and their mind is gone. You know, they, their peace of mind is gone. Yeah. They are struggling. You know, they're empty and I feel really full 
And I'm and I'm just so happy that I have gotten to that place, even though I have days, mm-hmm. but on a consistent basis, I, I just feel so full and energized and motivated to continue. I, I, I can definitely relate to that. I, I almost, when, when um, I decided to not be a pharmacy technician anymore, I kind of felt empty at first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then once I really started diving into my organization, Blacken a little bit more, mm-hmm really trying to work out the kinks of what my organization really stood for, getting the opportunity to, with one of my part-time jobs, being able to work with kids, because I was a uh, mm-hmm. an after-school teacher, and then working in theater administration, so work being a part of the ins and outs of what's operating in a theater, it, little bit by little bit, things started having a place and being put in that place. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Know? And it really it really started keying in for me that, you know, while I may I may love pharmacy, I may love the aspect of medicine and stuff like that, it wasn't fulfilling me mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. It was just taking up space. Yeah. It was. It was <laughs> taking up too much space. So I'm I'm I would say for myself that I'm content where I'm at right now, but I would definitely mm-hmm. like more for myself. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's an artist thing too. Yeah. It's never enough, <laughs> which, which is okay, which is okay because, because it pushes you to expand and to create new opportunities and to, it puts you in a position to receive those opportunities as well. And, and that's okay. You know, as long as it's within healthy boundaries of yourself, then why not? It, like it's never enough. Now, when I said, if I never get another role, now, hold on. I didn't mean it like, oh, I ain't got to get another role. You know what I'm saying? Like, I anticipate being full throttle once, you know, things kind of resume to whatever the new normal is now. Mm-hmm. Um, but as of now, this was just a great opportunity to check in with myself. And by doing that, I'm like, you know, I've actually covered a lot of ground. Mm-hmm. I've, I, I started seriously singing classical music when I was 25. I'm 30 now. That's only five years. There are people that have been doing that twice as long and even more than I have. And I, because of my work ethic, I've covered more ground in five years than I could have ever given myself credit for. Mm-hmm. So I have to stop and say, dog, that was good. All while, you know what I'm saying? Battling depression, all while working a million jobs all while, you know what I'm saying? In in some spots of my life being relatively unhealthy, like that's actually a big feat. Mm -hmm. And so I have to stop and look and say, this is cool and smell the roses. And I know, you know, that there's an after because that's just how, how we are. And we're wired that way as artists, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just content. Mm -hmm. That's the right word. You said content. Content is the word. So I, this is this is my final question for you, all right. and I ask all of my guests this. It's called the Queen's Request. All right, <laughs> and I like I, it already. <laughs> and I would like for you to suggest to me one or two Michigan Black women artists, whether if it's opera or dance or pole dancing, whatever, that Mm. you think we should keep an eye out for? Hmm. I know so many. So I'm going to go and preface that by saying, if your name doesn't flow out of my mouth, charge it to my head and not my heart. Because I want to put everybody on, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to pick two people. 
I have a wonderful friend. Her stage name, I believe she has gone with Lana Michelle. Okay. And she is a singer. She's like a contemporary singer. She's a writer as well. And she is so sharp. She's very sharp. Her music to me is written very well and is sung very well. And she has such wisdom beyond her her given space and time and opportunity, you know? Um, she's super smart. And I think she's going to be such a trailblazer in that realm. So I'll start there. And then my number two, let's see, I am out here. Now see, huh? I think that I don't, pole dancing is cool. Well, I mean, and it could be any genre. Pole dancing, and I, well, I'm partial to it because it's fun, right? Okay. I think it may be a good investment to look into Portia Lane of Studio 88. Okay. Um, she has her own pole dancing studio and she is the lead instructor and owner, but I believe she does may do some dance as well. Mm-hmm. And she's really cool. She's she's maybe just a hair older than I am, just a hair. And she's accomplished a lot through her ownership of the studio. So I think that she may be someone good to talk to as far as experience and opportunity and background and so on and so forth. So yeah, I, there's so many people out there. I probably should have made a list before I got on here. You know how that goes. People ask you how old you are and you forget on site. Yeah, that was like that. I lie all the time by accident. Well, I like to I, I like to keep these questions where, you know, the the folks don't know what I'm going to ask ahead of time, but uh I, I do that's, try to that's sure. great. Yeah, I do I do try to make sure that I don't ask any like offensive questions or anything like that. Um, but I definitely like to make the Queen's request the last one because it really gives people that chance to really think like hmm who do i know you know so <laughs> right, right 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 i understand that i understand and it widens our our network right, right. as well mm-hmm. so is there anything that you want to promote like any social media handles your website so i am overhauling everything and so it's it's going to be a fresh start but mm-hmm. i will drop um i am on the socials and and i'm i'm going under a new handle. If you get to the page, don't be alarmed because it's a little blank right now. But on Instagram, you can follow me at, at Mother Mezzo. So M-U-V-A-M-E-Z-Z-O. Mother, because that's what they say on the East Coast. And I have so many friends from the East Coast and they say crazy stuff like that. And then I pick it up and bring it back to Detroit. People are like, what? What are you saying? <laughs> so it's going to be Mother Mezzo. Um, Calibriaweb.com is going to get an overhaul. You can feel free to... to Check it out and and drop me a line or anything. If you have any questions, you want to get in contact, sure, it's functional, but it's going to look totally different over the next couple of months. Um, yeah, other than that, I mean, I'm here. I, I am on social media a lot, so feel free. <laughs> okay. A lot. Way too I, much. <laughs> I hear you on that. but I, and, and, you know, honestly, I can't even help that because I have to be on social media. You have to for, be. Yep. For, my, for my businesses, if it, if. If it was left up to me, I wouldn't even be bothered with people, honestly. But- I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. Because you get you get you get tired, right? Personal right. time is is valuable, right? I enjoyed this conversation with you. You are oh, you, I enjoyed this. You are just too much fun. I enjoyed this so much. <laughs> Thank you. And thank you so much for having this platform, sustaining this platform. This is so powerful and creative and it's just so 
meaningful, necessary, all of the adjectives, all of the words, um, especially in the time that we're in, you know, it is so cool. And, and I'm just honored that you even reached out to me. This, this was such a good time. Such yeah. a good time. Yeah. I had a four part um, mini series discussing the racism in Michigan theater. And I mm-hmm. gathered a whole bunch of uh black actor friends of mine and we talked about the experiences that we've been through you know and it Mm. was oof, man (laughs) i know i already know people were not ready (laughs) no it gets it gets deep real fast you know real fast and um one of my friends his name is dan johnson he he's Mm -hmm. really been working like extremely closely with with me on this project and he actually prepared a, a, a 10 page, 10, 11 page essay about how uh, theaters in Michigan can change to an anti-racist yeah. community. And it's beautiful. It's ridiculously insightful. I, I tell him how, how, how much I appreciate him for creating that because uh, that wouldn't have come out of me. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. There's, but there's something for everybody. Right. And that is a gift. Yep. But yeah, I'm so glad that we got the chance to talk. We're we're going to definitely stay connected. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Like so yes. many great things have been born from this opportunity. Yes. Yes. Thank you again. No problem. Thank you. And y'all better subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Okay. <laughs> that was just, that was that. I appreciate it. Love you guys. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. You can find Black Queens on Stage podcast and Black Literature and Art Queens Network at blackqueensonstage.com and blaqn.org. Follow me on Instagram at blaqnshowmichigan, on Facebook at blaqshowmichigan, and on Twitter at blaqnmi. You can find all this info in the show notes. Please rate the show and leave a review on Apple Podcast or on Podbean to let me know what you think of the show. Thanks again. Until next time.